today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A lot of outrage by some folks from a court ruling that now apparently will allow people accused of sexual assault or violent crimes to argue that they were too intoxicated and didn't know what they were doing. That very decision has angered an awful lot of activists. Of course, previously, Ontario's top court had ruled that defense of too much intoxication was unconstitutional. Uh, Joining us to talk about this is uh, John East of East Law. John, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. It's uh, certainly an interesting topic. Well, it is, and I've, I've got different opinions on this. I'm reading a number of articles about this, John, and uh, on the surface, I'll read the headline, and I know a lot of women's groups have, have weighed in on this and said, this is just ridiculous. Uh, and then I'm, I'm seeing other articles that say, no, 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 you don't understand. It's, this, the outrage is overblown. Give us, give us your read on the decision and what it means. Uh, my opinion is that the outrage, in some respects, is overblown. The headlines of many articles that you read are often misleading. It says intoxication can now be used as a defense for sexual assault. And those headlines are misleading because, for the most part, intoxication won't fly. It's only intoxication that rises to the level of automatism, that rises to the level where one's in an automatomic state. And what that means is, you know, for the most part, even if you're quote-unquote wasted and you throw a punch your mind is following along with that action you're aware of what you're you're aware of the threat you're giving you're aware of throwing that punch if you are in an automatomic state okay you're capable of action but you have no voluntary control over that action so think of people for example who when they're sleepwalking get into a car drive that car and crash it in those situations, the criminal courts would not hold that person liable. Mm-hmm. So in some situations, when somebody does consume some sort of drug, um, and in very rare, rare, rare cases, it might apply with alcohol, though I'm not aware of any. In some cases, that drug can have an effect on somebody where they're not even aware um, of the actions they're given. So think of a sleepwalking example. Um, think of somebody, for example, as, as is the case in, in Sullivan, where the Ontario Court of Appeal outlined the facts of, the, of that case. You know, this, this was somebody who took um, magic mushrooms, where they had a forensic toxicologist indicate that, generally speaking, uh, magic mushrooms are fairly safe. Um, this person had taken these mushrooms in the past. Uh, he had a p- pleasurable experience. But all of a sudden, he starts talking gibberish. He begins calling his mother and his sister Satan. He's incoherent. He's claiming that this is an act of God. And in those sorts of situations, that is where um, the intoxication defense, so to speak, may apply. It, it requires uh, medical expert evidence to prove. It's a very, very high threshold to meet in a court of law. Um, and and generally speaking, the reason it's allowed is because, as a matter of constitutional principles and, and our constitutional rights, we don't convict people of crimes if there's doubt as to whether they intended to do something. So, for example, if I'm going to a grocery store and the clerk forgets to scan an item, I walk out of the store, the alarm bells go off. If, in that situation, if I can show I never intended to steal that item, and the evidence would be that the clerk never scanned it, I wouldn't be guilty. Similarly, 
if there's a state of intoxication that is so severe, or one's conception of reality is so tainted, um, so unreal, so to speak, in those situations, the intoxication defense may become available for violent offenses such as sexual assault. But as I said, it's a very high burden to meet. A couple of things about that then. Uh, I mean, if, if, you, if you're being charged with, with any one of those offenses, a violent thing or sexual assault, whatever the case might be, uh, what, what I'm getting from what you're saying here, John, is if you say, look, it, I had a few beers, you know, come on, you know, I was, that's, that's not the defense. I mean, and I guess anybody can present a defense. It's whether or not it's a credible uh, defense in, in a situation like that. But as you're explaining this, there's a huge burden on the defense there to, to prove that, that, you know, that you reach that extreme point for that to be a legitimate defense. It, it, it's a huge burden, and it, it necessitates expert evidence. Someone, you know, some medical expert to testify and to look at the facts and say, okay, even though there were comments of, let's say, Satan and, and someone going really crazy, you know, based on, let's say, the toxicity of some sort of drug in his blood, the expert would have to conclude that he was not aware of his actions, that he had no sort of voluntary control of the actions he was doing. So you're absolutely right, Bill. It's, it's, if you go into court on a sexual assault charge and say, yeah, I was drunk, I don't really remember, therefore I'm not guilty, I mean, you're going to get laughed at a court in layman's terms. That kind of defense would, would never fly. The, the level of intoxication has to be so severe, your, your conception of reality has to be so tainted, that it's akin to somebody sleepwalking, that it's akin to somebody who's schizophrenic. So uh, people always always try to dissect this and try to get the, you know, the reasoning behind this. Th this mm. ruling, which basically says it can be used as a defense, uh, is that based on, on the premise in law that, yeah, there, that is, there is a possibility that that could have an impact on someone? Uh, and, and, and so they can't preclude that from any possibility, but then obviously it's putting a huge, as we mentioned, a huge burden on, on somebody to actually prove that it does have that sort of an impact. It, but it, it, the yeah. law as it stands before then, uh, if that same person that you just described with the magic mushrooms that was going off the deep end and, and totally incoherent and not understanding what they were doing, would never have been able to use uh, that, that as a defense. And this ruling, I guess, will allow that as a possibility. Well, he, he would have been able to use that as a defense if the crime he was charged with was, let's say, theft or something that was not violent in uh -huh. nature. But um, Parliament had, had come out years ago, and, and Parliament was sort of up in arms about that, so they closed it off for violent offenses. But what the court found is that arbitrarily closing it off for violent offenses goes against fundamental constitutional principles about criminal convictions, about what is required to put somebody in jail for committing a crime. And what is required is, and in law we call it, someone has to have the mens rea. Someone has to have the guilty mind. Someone has to be acting voluntarily and appreciate, in a sense, the nature and consequences of their action. And if somebody is so far removed from reality, like in, in, the, in the Sullivan case, you, you know, he stabbed his mother because he thought that he was being abducted by aliens. And that was that was proven in court via medical evidence and via other witnesses' testimony about what he was saying at the time in question. In those sorts of situations, if the fundamental principle of justice is that we don't convict people who aren't acting voluntarily, who didn't intend their action, um, then you have to allow for some situations where uh, somebody in an automatomic state, somebody with such severe intoxication, even if it's self-induced, may not be guilty. And there's a lot of people up in arms because, you know, a lot of people say, well, you intended to get intoxicated. You intended to consume these drugs. 
But the reason that in and of itself won't attract criminal liability is because there are many, many people out there who get intoxicated, who use drugs, where the risk of uh, committing some violent act is not even foreseeable, you know, even remotely. Mm-hmm. And because you can't, because there's no cogent, you know, corresponding link between intoxication and violence, in other words, many people, you know, get drunk and aren't violent at all, you can't say, well, because he was drunk, he's therefore guilty, or because he was highly intoxicated, it's, you know, he's therefore criminally guilty. And that goes against, and if you did, it would go against the, the ultimate principle of, you know, we don't want to put innocent people in jail. John East uh, from East Law here in town. Uh, John, always great to get your perspective, and thank you so much for the time today and for the clarification. Thank you very much. Good talking with you. Uh, interesting perspective on that, and like I say, that sometimes you have to read beyond the headline to exactly get uh, the drift as to what's actually going to be happening. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.